Great to be with you all. Glad you're here today. Filling up God's house in a great way, online and in person. As a result of that, you know, we're wanting to add another service. We want to start at 11 o'clock service again. And uh, so we've been looking and praying and working towards doing that starting uh, Easter Sunday, which is April 4th, if you don't know, know the dates yet. Um, all of our ministry areas, like, use help. We have them all met as far as adding that, except for our nursery. Um, we need about literally 12 people to volunteer. We do background checks on people for nursery and that. The advantage of this is that when we start two services, you can serve in one and you can still be in church that day. And uh, so I just want to encourage you to pray and seek God and ask him if he wants you to do that. And uh, we need you. All right. It's not a spiritual gift or a calling to serve in the nursery. But Jesus washed the disciples feet and that wasn't a spiritual gift or calling either. He did it to show his heart of service and his servant-heartedness, which is the heart of Christ. So that's not a guilt trip. It's us pray and ask God to do that. And uh, we don't want you there if you're not supposed to be there. <laughs> Kids don't want you there either. <laughs> we want you to pray about that and ask God what he wants. So if it's your first Sunday, we want to welcome you. And you should have got a bag when you came in with a free uh, drink for the cafe, which is closed now. So you'll have to get it next Sunday, which is our way to get you to come back. There's a mug to remind you of us, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because sometimes when we enter into a new place, we get uncomfortable. I'm not going to ask you to stand or wave your hand or call you out. I've been in those situations, and it's not comfortable at all. We're already enough nervous enough and uncomfortable with this just being in a strange new environment, and so I just want to welcome you, and saying all that for a reason, we're not a perfect church. Uh, whoever invited you probably already informed you of that. Uh, you know, if they were being honest, it's uh, we're, we're not. We're here because we need Jesus. And he is providing the help that we need every day. And the Holy Spirit is moving in our lives. It's so great. So when you look around and you see people that are like, wow, that's probably what they're thinking of you. So <laughs> just get comfortable with where you are. Everything's okay. Yesterday, uh, we had a time that we met together with some young Christian leaders in churches. And so we've started this. This is our second uh, year of doing this with some young individuals from different churches around the Tucson. And I'm bringing this up for this reason. I want everybody to understand this. That when we first met, there were seven of these individuals, five of which we found out were introverts, uh, as we got together. Now, there's a reason I share all of that, because when everyone came in, everybody was anxious and nervous. You could, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Didn't know what they were in for. They were uncomfortable not knowing everybody there and, and what the environment is and all that. So there was that tension that was there, and anybody knows it. You can feel it. We went into this prayer time, and we had devotional time, and then we had a little personal reflection time of five questions and asked them to answer these five specific questions. And as they did, then we asked them to share them with everybody there. And so there was some vulnerability involved. And so once they started to say who they were, where they came from, their brokenness and their healing of God and the issues and the things they needed prayer for now, everything changed in the entire environment. So they went from nervous and, and uh, like defensive and closed off to realizing that everyone else wasn't perfect either. And everybody else was there and they needed God's help and they were okay to be together and seek that help together. So I bring that up to you today because the people around you, you may think they have it together or maybe you think they don't. 
But there's people that are here and every one of us have needs that we have God's just like, God, please, we need your help with this. We're broken. God's the healer. He's the restored. He's the one that makes us whole. But we are not whole yet. There is a day coming when we will be made whole and perfect and righteous in his image and likeness and all of that when he changes us. But here on this earth, we have work to be done in us and God wants to do work through us. Isn't that awesome? So I just want you to know we're all the same here. We all need him desperately. And some of us need to know him. And he loves you. He loves you. No matter what you've been told about him or think about him, he loves you. We are going to look at some things today that um, you may think, I know all this. Stay with us. God wants to speak to us today. And there's this incredible thing that he wants to reveal to all of us all over again. There was a commercial on TV a long time ago. I remember seeing it. I'm not a big TV watcher, but I remember this one, and it was cornflakes. I bring this up. I brought it up before. It's a try it again for the very first time. You know, it's something like my, my parents didn't buy sugar cereal. All right. That's all I have in my house now. I'm just saying. But <laughs> there was cornflakes and Wheaties and all that nasty stuff, right? You know, so you get cornflakes, and you put a bunch of sugar on it. So I don't know what the point is. But anyway, um, the reason I'm saying that is because, you know, everybody ate it when they were a kid because there wasn't like 10,000 varieties of cereal back then, and I'm not that old, all right? <laughs> so the commercial came on to say, like, try it again for the first time. Like, it's been so long, you don't even know what that really was like. You just have a thought in your mind of what it was. So the message today may be that for you. You may think, oh, I already heard that. I know that I've experienced that, but wait a minute. Try it again for the very first time. Let God reveal something new in what he's saying to us. In the very beginning, first, I want you to know that I absolutely believe the Bible is God's word. This church believes that. The, the group that we're a part of absolutely affirms that. There's a move across our nation that is called progressive Christianity. And in that movement, there is the, the leaning towards the idea of adapting the culture's mindset into the church and realizing and saying that the Bible, the Word of God, is an archaic book that does not really relevant in our culture because it doesn't deal with the issues that we have. I want you to know that we are not part of that movement, nor will we be. God's Word is God's Word. See... God's word is counterculture because culture is based in sin. And so when the church tries to adapt to culture, we are bringing grievance against Almighty God and the truth that He has established. God's word is His truth. Now, you can deny it. You can argue with it. You don't have to follow it. You don't have to agree with it. You'll find out one day. It's truth. I will give my life on that stance and my soul for all eternity on that belief. I've committed that to Him. And because of that, I want you to know that in God's creation story, it is not an allegory. It's not a, a, a story that's made up to give us an idea of what sin is. And many of us have heard the story and seen pictures of the story, and we have it all messed up. Adam and Eve, this free reign in this place called the Garden of Eden to live, multiply, and experience life with him. He says, you, you got all this except this one thing. God says, you can't touch this, not just eat it, 
Don't touch it. But you can have all this. All right, so the devil comes and talks to Eve in the form of the serpent, right? And this really happened, and I know it was real. And in this conversation, the enemy speaks to Eve. And he brings forth a question about what God said. Planting a seed of doubt in what God said. See, that's where sin originated in the very beginning. A doubt in what God says. And here it is. And this is, this is Eve speaking now. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Just going to stop for a second. Because right now in your mind, you've seen the little pictures we give to kids to color in nursery and different things where the snake is in the apple tree and Eve's standing there and it's that fruit right there. Listen, in the context of Scripture, it appears that they're nowhere near the tree. Did you hear what was just said? So she says, oh no, it's the one in the middle we can't have. So they're not even near it right now, it appears to me. But you see, what's happening is there is this planting of a seed of doubt so that that plant of that seed of doubt would stay with her as she goes on her way. Listen to what happens now. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman, contradicting God's word completely right now. Okay? God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Guess what? There's truth here. Just a little bit of truth. The enemy wants to create doubt in what God says. Give a little bit of truth to cloud what God says. And here we go. Listen. God knows that your eyes will be opened. He sure did. <laughs> God knows. The woman was convinced. She already made a decision right here. She hadn't eaten the fruit yet. She hadn't touched it yet. See, this conversation with darkness took place and there was an undermining of God's word. There was a little bit of truth and then there was a logical decision made. Yeah, that makes sense to me now. Something in God's word says, don't trust this, trust him, right? This logical decision happens and she's convinced. The next sentence says, she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Hmm. Think that through for a minute. Let that sink in. Think about it. We've experienced these things in our own lives. See, she looks, now that she's had a plant in here, and she's like, you know, that really makes sense. Now she's going not to view that tree as something to shun, but to see what it offered. See, it was offering something to her that her flesh wanted. Hmm. Convinced, looking, yep, I want to do this. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. 
Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. Isn't it crazy how we lead others down that road of destruction with us when we make those decisions? You know how easy we are to follow dumb decisions? We've, we've done it. Someone makes a bad decision and we're right there with them and like, yeah, let's do it. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. See, the wisdom they received wasn't the wisdom they thought they were going to get. They got something way more. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord walking in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. See, once we cross that line, here's the line. Once we cross that line, and all of a sudden the reality of that decision hits us, not the fantasy of the decision, not the idealism that we've created, not the doubt and the truth that we've mixed. But once we cross that line and step in, then we're in reality. No longer is it a fantasy. Fantasies are awesome. They always work out right. Reality is not like that. See, once that line was crossed and they stepped into reality, it's like, whoa, we screwed up. We got to do something. I got to fix this. So they get fig leaves. You know how inept we are at trying to cover our brokenness? Fig leaves. Let's put these things together. You cover yourself, I'll cover myself, and then we'll be okay. Listen, they were hiding from each other. They were hiding from each other. It wasn't even God yet. The first reality was, you can't see me. You can't see me. There needs to be a separation between us. Do you remember what God said when he brought them together? You shall no longer be two but one. See, sin broke that oneness of the original couple. And now they're hiding from one another. The very one that God gave to make whole is now separating and saying you can't be you can't see you can't know see that's the wisdom of the world when the cool evening breezes were blowing I want to just insert a thought from Dave right here a God moment there was an opportunity for a God moment. There was a divine appointment of God coming to meet with them in a special, personal, and tangible way. Here it was in that moment of truth. Guarantee that they experienced these God moments before in their life. And God was coming like always. This is just Dave. I'm just talking to you as I look in the Word of God. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. You know, whenever you're screwing up, you always try and hide from God. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he replied, 
I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. See, the realization of his nakedness was even more real when he was coming into the presence of God and he began to hear God's voice. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Church, this is what God does. He leads us to confess. He already knows. He knew right where they were. He knew what they'd done. But he leads us. God never forces us. He leads us. He invites us. He's calling. What happened? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. (laughs) So, see, the moment of truth comes. This is God asking him to confess. And in church, seriously, what's the, the first thing we do when we're confronted with something we're doing wrong in our life? We always justify and blame others. Always. Man, you know the little kids, when there's a fight, who started it? He did. He did. It was their fault. Hey, I was doing this. They did that. No, I was doing this. They did that. It's the same thing. It's, this is where it's all at. It's trying to deflect the reality of my wrong choice, my decision, my brokenness. It's me. Then the Lord asks the woman, what have you done? See how God does this? He doesn't take Adam's accusation and say, woman, look what you've done. No, he says, what have you done? Come on. Giving another opportunity for confession. The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Exact same scenario being played out. So this whole scenario shows us the temptation, the Word of God tells us, church, we will all be tempted. The voice of the evil one is always yakking. And he's always trying to call us into sin. See, temptation is not sin. Sin is when we act upon temptation. And it's really important that we understand that. So you're not a sinner because you're tempted because the Word of God says Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. There's this amazing sentence next. Yet, without sin. He rejected temptation and lived the life for us to live. So here we are. This reality is temptation comes and in planting a seed of doubt in what God says. The reason many people study God's word is to try and find loopholes to do what they want. I'm serious. We're, we're looking at God's word and it says, well, it doesn't say this specifically, therefore I'm going to do this. And we're looking for ways to do what we want and to please our flesh as we walk in this life trying to say, well, I'm free from that because of this. No, look, the Spirit of God is good, man. He is good. Acting on the sin started by engaging in a conversation about questioning God's Word. Think about it. It started there. Engaging in a conversation about doubting God's Word. 
then a logical conclusion was made based upon some truth. Then the flesh said, you know what? I want that. And so the flesh took over what God said. And the flesh acted for what it wanted instead of what God says. Then Adam, the one who was called to lead, became a follower. Think about it. The one who was called to lead became a follower as he stood back. He wasn't like some other place. The Word of God says he was with her. He watched her do it. And he didn't stop her. The thing didn't just fall in her hand. She had to go up intentionally and reach for it. And he didn't stop her. See, he had a role to play as God's man to lead. And he followed her instead of leading her. Just gave her his position. Oh, wow, really? Do you know what's happened in our world today? Ladies have become the spiritual leaders of their home. We've surrendered. We just let it go. I'm not saying all you guys have. There's a lot of guys in this church, and I'm grateful, man. Man of God, you're needed. Yeah. See, where sin started here, though, he became a follower, and she took the lead, and they both fell. You don't have to like what I'm saying. This is God's established way to lead into godliness, not into sin. Okay, so then the result of sin is shame, guilt, exposure, and brokenness. That's what happens. So the reaction, let's cover it. Let's hide it. Let's hide from each other. False outer appearance, hiding from brokenness from one another. What's going on inside in the presence of God? What happens? We hide. We try and retract back. We don't want to be in His presence. Do you know what I used to do when I was in church? I'd be somewhere else in my fantasy world. I did not want to be in God's presence. I knew if I engaged with what God was saying in a message or in the singing that was going on, that I would be exposed for who I was and I would have an encounter with God. Therefore, I would hide in my mind. I'd be gone. I'd be out there in the unreal fantasy world of my mind doing amazing things. I was amazing out there. I'm telling you right now, I was. I was the hero. I did it all. I won it all. I accomplished it all. All up here the whole while I was dead. It's crazy, isn't it, how this thing works? So my escape was to hide from God. And then when he would call me out and push through those things where I'd block him away, all of a sudden there would be this exposure of God that he would call out to me like, whoa, I told you last week, like, no, get away. So I want you to know that (laughs) you are being exposed right now. You are. It's okay. It's a good thing. It is uncomfortable. It is. And you're going to squirm and feel awkward when what's wrong inside of you is exposed to God and your knowledge. 
So you've been hiding it. But it's never been hidden. Not from you, nor from God. But see, what we do is we learn to hide it and live ignoring it until we're in the presence of God. And then all of a sudden, oh, there it is. And what happens is I realize I'm not really in relationship with him. I know who he is. I know he exists. I know he's real. I know what he says. But I don't have a relationship because I've broken it. And a lot of times we respond just like Adam and Eve when we realize that. And we start blaming our past, people, stuff in our life, culture, the government, everything else we can do. We begin to blame all of that for what's wrong in me. (laughs) And really, it's just sin. It's brokenness. It's coming clean with understanding that I'm broken, I have sin in my life, and I need forgiveness. No matter where you go, it's the same pattern. It is. It's in the Bible. God... The thing that I love about God, and I know that it's God's word, if the Bible was written by human beings, we would never expose our heroes. They would all be happy endings, they would be good stories, and they would always live right. But God's word shows us that those that we look at as spiritual heroes in their lives, whom they became, screwed up. And they did wrong things. None more stands out in the entire Old Testament than King David himself. I mean, this was the guy that God himself took as a shepherd boy and made the king of his people. God declared, this is a man after my own heart. And he loved David. He established a covenant with him and he told David, I'm going to bring forth the Messiah. He's going to be part of your lineage. David, I love you. There will be no end to your throne. I, God, promise. Here he is, David, king of Israel, God's man. He screwed up big time. And he followed the exact same pattern as Adam and Eve, just like everybody else does. See, he committed adultery. He had his, her husband killed. David, that guy. And God's word shows us everything. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of his bed and was walking on the roof of his palace and he looked out over the city and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Just think back to the garden for a second. Huh, that looks great. I, I like the way that looks. I want that. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. When she came to the place, he slept with her. She had just completed her purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, When Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent to David a message saying, I'm pregnant. Saw that it looked good, desired to have it, ignored the message that she belonged to someone else. See? See how that happens? There's things we know, 
But because I've already saw something I want, I ignore the message of truth. She's the wife of. She belongs to someone else. Stay away. He sent for her. So we got into her presence. And as he was with her, one thing led to another and they're in bed together. See, what happens is self takes over. Flesh takes over. Flesh is so weak. And so we think, oh, I can handle it. I can do that. I can go there. I won't do anything wrong. And there we go. See, the flesh is not strong. It's weak. And we need God or we'll never survive. And we can't ignore what he says and the boundaries that God himself has established. Because see, God established those boundaries to keep us where we need to live. And we can't cross that line without having consequences for our decisions. So here we go. The result of David seeing, wanting, desiring, touching, having is a pregnancy. Exposure. Pretty hard to hide that when her husband's out at war and she comes up pregnant. So what are we going to do? The same thing as the fig leaves. We got to hide this. So what does David do? He sends a messenger and tells the commander Joab, send Uriah back to me. Bring him back. So Uriah comes back to the palace. And David invites him in and has a dinner and says, how's the war going? Great. Go on home. Be with your wife. Trying to hide it. This is verse 6. Then David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent him to David. When Uriah arrived, David asked him how Joab and the army were getting along and how the war was progressing. See how we avoid the topics of things? We just talk about what's out there. Then he told Uriah, go on home and relax. David even sent a gift to Uriah after he had left the palace. But Uriah didn't go home. He slept that night at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. This was a man of upright standing, integrity. And as he came to David, and David inquired why he didn't go home, he said, I couldn't go home and sleep with my wife when the king's soldiers are out there in war and I can't go and satisfy myself when they're out there risking their lives. There's no way. David tried to get him to go home. And when Uriah wouldn't go home, David made another decision to try and hide stuff. So he sends a message back with Uriah. Take this to the commander, Joab. Joab gets the message and opens it up. And here David says, put Uriah in the heat of the battle on the front line. And when he's there, back away. Remember who this is? This is God's man. Well, he was until he crossed the line. And pretty soon, he's not only crossed that line, but he's crossing this line, and then this line, and then this line. Now he's in so deep. And we got to get rid of the evidence. I got to hide from this. He's got to die. The only solution now is to get rid of him. Here we go. Looks so smart, doesn't it? Because it works perfectly. Your eye is killed. Bathsheba grieves for her husband, has a funeral publicly. 
As soon as the time of her mourning is over, David sends for her and she becomes one of his wives. Did you hear that term? See, I, I don't want her sin to go unnoticed either. She wanted something more than she had as well. She saw the king in all of his glory and all that he had and said, I want what he has. And I'm willing to lose that to gain that. What did she gain? To become one of instead of one. See, it looks so perfect. The cover. Way better than fig leaves. We got it all covered now. We thought this through. Nobody's going to know the difference. David sends for, becomes one of his wives. But you know God knows everything, right? And so it looks like the scheme has worked and the baby's born and she's the queen and she's in the palace and everything seems like it's going along fine. It's never fine. God sends the prophet Nathan. Nathan comes to the king. King David, I want to tell you about what happened in your kingdom. There was this rich guy who had everything and his neighbor had one lamb. And the rich guy had a friend that came and visited and so he went over and took the lamb from his neighbor, his only lamb, and killed it to feed his friend. David became outraged and said, who is this man? He deserves to die. Nathan said, you're the man. When God speaks, it's not fun. Exposure to self and what we've done, the reality of what we've done when we cross that line is, is like a, a dagger to the heart. You are the man. You did it. God had given you all of this and you weren't satisfied and you took that one from this guy. The prophet proclaims judgment from God. Church, you gotta hear this. It's tragic. God says, you did this hidden. I want you to know, David, your sin will be exposed to the nation and to the world. And your own household will sleep with your wives in public before the nation and the baby that was born between you and Bathsheba is going to die. There are consequences to sin, church. Sin brings death. Some would say, well, that's a pretty harsh judgment against the baby. No, that baby was fine and God took him. But you understand, God had promised David that from his seed, the Messiah would come. He could not be from an adulterous affair. Here we go. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. We cannot justify sin in our lives. Whatever the devil's trying to get you to justify Whatever you're trying to make excuse for, whatever you're trying to serve your flesh in, I want you to know it's sin and you got to get away from it. You got to run. You're going to get caught if you stand there and engage and you converse and you look and you long. You're done. You've got to run from sin. We got to repent and not hide. This is what David wrote. When God exposed his sin to him and the reality of his own ideas and his own judgment, he said, that man should die. David, you should die. Life for life, right? 
That's the law of God. Okay. God's amazing love says this to him. I will forgive you. Isn't he amazing? David's heart is crushed when he has the reality of what he's done. Did he know what he'd done? Yep. Did he feel guilt for what he'd done? Yeah, we're going to find that out in a second. David was living with inner guilt, shame, and brokenness. If you read this 51st Psalm, which we're going to read together, this is the prayer of confession of David after he is exposed for his adulterous affair and the murder of Uriah the Hittite. Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Before I read any further, do you notice what David's doing? He's saying, God, you are an amazing, loving, forgiving God, and you need to forgive me of my sin. He's owning his sin. That's the start there, church. Wash me clean from my guilt. Oh, so he is feeling something. Things aren't just rosy. Everything's not great in the palace. Everything's not the way he wanted it to be with Bathsheba. He feels guilt. He confesses and says, Man, I'm miserable. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. It haunts me day and night. I can't get away from it. It lives with me. I put a smile on my face because I'm king. And everyone looks at me as the man of God. David says, it haunts me. It's in me. I feel that guilt, that brokenness. I was trying to hide it and cover it. But there it is. It's so real. See, he was struggling with conviction, guilt, shame for what he'd done, the brokenness, the reality of where he ended up. Never, ever, ever would David have ever imagined that he would be right there? Here's We're going to go on with his prayer of confession. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. Like, God, I deserve everything you're going to do to me. I don't deserve it. I know who you are. I know you're a loving, forgiving God. But your judgment is just. And I know what I deserve. For I was born a sinner. Yes. I'm going on in this verse. Verse number five. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You've broken me. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Oh God, I screwed up everything. God, I screwed up everything. 
I I don't even know how to live anymore. Guilt and condemnation have got me. I'm scared of you. I'm scared of life. Everything's messed up. God, please just let me get it back together. Make me whole again. God, I need joy. I feel brokenness and emptiness. See, true repentance is understanding nothing can be done to remove that situation. Only God. Only God. Nothing could erase that stuff. Uriah couldn't be restored. Bathsheba couldn't be unpregnant. An affair could not be undone. It happened. You understand, church? See, we can't change the past. But what we must do is own up to our choices that cause the past, repent of that, come to God, and that is the only place that you will ever find the peace and the joy to be restored in your life again. It's the only place. It's the only way it'll ever happen. See, we need a change of heart. Make me willing to obey you. No longer serving self. No longer looking at what I want. But God, I want what you desire for me. I want to do what you want. The next part of that prayer is this. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Okay, so I got to pause here because some of us try and help others before we're restored because we're trying to work through our own guilt by helping them get right so that I feel better about myself. David said, you've got to make me right so that I can help others find the way to you. Stop trying to hide your brokenness by serving. Come to God. Let God heal you. Then you'll know how to serve. Amen? Seriously. I know a lot of our people in recovery programs. And I'm so grateful for that. And I want you to hear me. Your helping others will only be real when God has helped you. No matter what, you can teach them and show them and help them and be a sponsor. And I'm glad for all of it. But until you come to this place where God has changed you, you can't give them what they really need. God's word, man. It supersedes everything else because it's God's word. When you've experienced God's amazing grace and forgiveness, that you can share with others. It's like, God loves me. He loves me. Church, I can't explain that to you because I so don't deserve that. But he loves me. Verse 14, forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then... I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Do I, you do not desire a sacrifice or I'd offer it. Think what he's saying right here. See, what David's saying is, God, you don't want just empty faith or worship or religion. God did want sacrifices, but no, that's not what he was after. The reason for the sacrifice was the heart. And David's like, this is what you want. I know what you want. I cannot truly worship you. I can't sing to you. I can't praise you because my heart's not right. I try, 
I've done this stuff. God, you don't want that. And if you did that, man, I'd be doing it. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, oh God. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> See, it doesn't even, it does matter, but like in the, in the sense of this moment and what God's asking in repentance, it does not matter how bad the sin was or how broken you were or how crazy the thing became. What God is looking for is a broken spirit. And God won't, listen, reject you. Isn't that amazing? See, God knows our heart. He knows the truth of the prayer and the repentance that we're offering. And I want you to know that if you go into bed tonight and you're praying the exact same prayer, God forgive me, God... No, you're not repenting. You're trying to buy insurance. It's all you're doing. Trying to cover the bases. God knows your heart. David said, you don't want that kind of stuff. God, I know you don't. If that's all you wanted, believe me, I'd be putting it on you. God says, I want a broken spirit. I want you to come clean with who you are, how messed up you are. Be real with me the way I know who you are. And when you do that, I'll forgive you and make you whole. You'll be able to sleep at night. Stop praying for repentance every single night for the same stuff. Stop doing it. Stop conversing with it. Stop visiting it. Sin I'm talking about in case you need some clarity there. Stop going there. Stop being with those people. Stop doing that stuff. Run! Man. So I know some people may get offended at this, you know, stuff. It's okay. I'm not personally trying to offend you. God's trying to offend you with your sin because it offends Him. He is a righteous and holy God and He is not okay with us justifying sin in our lives. And some of us are living in blatant sin and justifying it by other things we're thinking we're doing right. You know because you're living with the guilt day and night for what you're doing wrong. You allow people to convince you that it's okay. You've allowed your a little fragment of, of truth to say, it's okay, you can do that, right? Just that little bit of truth, but not full truth. It's not God's truth. And we're convinced that that's all right. I'm going to be fine. And we're justified because I've got three stacks of good versus this one bad. God is not interested in offerings of show of emotion that have no desire for change. He's not. I mean, we can stand here and sing all day. And I don't mean that wrong. I'm saying we can sing, praise, celebrate, feel good about ourselves. But if there's sin in our heart, it doesn't mean squat. It doesn't. God doesn't care. He loves us and he wants us. And we don't have to sing one song and we can worship him and engage with him and he's with us. And David's saying, I can't sing. I can't do any of it. Nothing feels right because nothing is right. And I know it. Here's my brokenness, God. Here it is. See, it's the exposure of myself, my flesh, my brokenness, and only you, God. Only you. 
only you. Did you see how he said that? Against you and only you have I sinned. Are there consequences to people? Absolutely. But you see, our sin is offensive to our God. And that's what matters. That's what matters. Only when the heart is right with God can true worship take place. David says to God, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifice offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and the whole burnt offerings. Then bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. So David says, I know that as the leader of this people, my sin has disrupted the entire worship of your people. Our whole nation's messed up. This is David praying. Our whole nation's messed up because of my sin. Things aren't working right. Things aren't right. God, we're not right with you. A lot of times we think the sins that we've committed and that we have done is only us and it's okay. And we're, you know, we justify it like it doesn't matter. They're going to be fine. Everything is going to, no. Our sin has consequences that affect the lives of other people. There's only one way to deal with sin in our life, God's way. That's true repentance with a change of heart. (laughs) Here's your action steps. We're at the end here. Amen. What has the devil been trying to get you to see as desirable? Seriously, what is it? What is it that he's placing in front of you, wanting you to look at and say, I want that? See, whatever that one thing is, and it may be a few things, whatever that is, at the same moment that you look and want, you already know in your heart, God already said no. You already know. See, the Holy Spirit is so faithful, and Jesus said he would be. He convicts the world of sin and of righteousness. So he, right there at the very beginning, sends a flag up. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Hello? There's a flag. Hello? And he sends for her. Ignore that flag. I'm going to do this. You see, that's the way God does it. He says no. So like whatever the enemy's putting in front of you to try and make look desirable, it's not. Once you take a bite, you're going to get sick. What are you trying to justify that you've already been told stay away from? Just let that sink in. Think about it. What is it that you are trying to justify that you are already been told to stay away from? What have you done that you're attempting to hide or make excuse for? What have you already done that you're trying to hide or make excuse for? Have you truly repented? Come to God with all your heart exposed and saying, Oh God, it's me. I did it. I did it against you. See, true repentance is the only way to be free from guilt, shame, and the exposure that you are feeling for what you've done. That's it. There's people moving already. You need to move, man. This is not a this is not a game. See, God has called us to be his people, and we can't be his people when we're living in sin. Stop hiding, justifying, stop. Stop looking, stop wanting, stop thinking it's okay, it's not okay. Stop it. You know. 
You know God is here and he is speaking. That's the Holy Spirit. That's not Dave. That's not this church. That's not this building. God is speaking and he's calling you to repent. (laughs) God, you're calling us to repent. (laughs) God is calling for us to repent. You want to worship? Repent. You want to be able to sleep at night? Repent. You want to get rid of that guilt and shame? Repent. Come clean with God. He knows. Stop flirting with sin. You're going to lose. Stop flirting with sin. You're going to lose. Stop engaging in conversation where you already know God said no. Stop. Come on, church, please. God's calling. God's the one that's calling. I don't care what people think. It doesn't matter what people think. You've got to respond to Him. You are the one. It's not them. It's not their fault. It's not that stuff. It's you. And you are the one God's calling. (laughs) In these moments, you... I, I want to, we're going to end here in a second. And man, I hate ending these services because I know there's more that need to respond. I know in my heart, if there wasn't this heavy draw in my spirit, I would be free to let us go. But there's a heavy draw in my spirit where God's saying, we're not done. I would sit in church in these moments and the spirit of God being heavy and calling And I would tell him, well, not right now. I'll go and do it at home. I'll go over there and do this. I'll do that. It never happened. It won't happen. You're not going to do it later. That's a lie. The deceiver is trying to get you to stop making these things and thoughts about being right with God. He will stop at nothing to take you down that road. Push past right now, please. I mean, like, literally, we're done in 30 seconds. You need to move. Father... In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, move. Lord, bring conviction, God, where it's needed. We, God, we have to repent. Against you and you alone. Look, I got good news for everyone here at the altar and everybody else, man. This amazing God doesn't say, well, you grovel for a little while and I'll forgive you. He says, I forgive you. He says, you're forgiven. I love you. You are forgiven. Every one of you are forgiven. Isn't God awesome? You are forgiven. (laughs) Yeah. You are forgiven. Isn't he awesome? Yeah. Amen. God, thank you. You are forgiven. You are. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He's not embarrassed of you. (laughs) He loves you. (laughs) Thank you, God. You're so amazing that you would ever put your name on us and say, you're mine. Do you know God established and reestablished David? Do you know how amazing God's mercy and grace is? It was actually after this confession 
that David and Bathsheba conceived a son and his name was Solomon. And this is what God's word says. God loved Solomon. And God made the covenant of David established upon Solomon. Oh my goodness, God, you are amazing. God is so amazing. That isn't right. That's not right. Seriously, that's not right in our minds, is it? God's amazing. See, God's forgiveness is that full, that amazing, where he just like, that's done and over. You're clean. We're starting fresh and new. And guess what? I'm going to make something amazing come out of your stupidness. I had to say that word one more time this week. I want to clarify before you leave here that when I say that, I'm talking about people that don't do what God says, but do their own thing, just so you know. So when your kids say it, you tell them, that's only if you're not doing what God says can you use that word. So God's amazing. God's amazing. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for giving us this opportunity to worship. Thank you for your forgiveness and healing. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Get on out of here. God bless you, man. Have an amazing day. He is amazing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You're amazing.